that spontaneity that God is actually showing up. And, and I encourage your faith that when we come to worship, come to actually worship God, and you will experience him in very new and fresh ways, a living way. We serve a living God. There's nothing dead about the Christian God. He's involved in our creed, our worship, our preaching, our fellowship, our prayers. Whatever we do in his name, he's part of it. He's there. He's real. Expect that. And that'll tie that into our message today when we speak about the power of the seed out of Mark chapter 4. As Pastor John has been closing up the last several sermons out of the book of John, he was speaking about being witnesses, of course. And that's what the scriptures do. And I want to speak about something today about sharing our faith. Something that Jesus teaches us and we really need to notice as soon as I can find my text, I will... Bring it up. There it is. Mark chapter 4. I will read it. Something's going on. Bear with me. Let me see. Okay, there we go. Mark chapter 4, verse 26. And there we are. Let's read. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises day and night, and the seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. The earth produces by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that everyone in this room is part of your harvest. Thank you, God. Thank you, Father, for saving our souls, God. Thank you for opening up our hearts and our minds to receive the gospel message of our salvation, Father God. Thank you for saving us, Father God. How? We do not know how. We came to church one day and life changed. Someone told us about Jesus, and life changed. Someone told me to repent, and life changed. Someone told me to believe, and life changed. Someone told me to keep believing, and life keeps on changing. In Jesus' name, amen. As John's been speaking about sharing the message, the children will stay in today. Mike is not here, but I want the children to hear the message of sharing our faith. And I want to, this text really captures the simplicity, and I don't want to lose that word, the simplicity, the organic, holistic simplicity of just sharing faith. And, 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 and the illustration I use a lot is, is when we take our iPhones now and we want to show a picture of my wife. I love showing the picture of my wife off all the time, you know. And that's how it should be with our faith. As easy as I can share a picture of my wife or your children, we should do that with our faith. It should be that easy. It's like opening up our, our telephone and saying, here's a picture of the Lord. This is what Christ has done for me. You know, but a lot, of, a lot of Christians struggle with this. And so I'm going to touch upon some of these things. But our parable tonight, this simple parable of four verses of Scripture, Jesus is giving in a part of Mark that it's unique to the book of Mark, but it's, it's that part of Mark that he's raising up disciples. He's, he's teaching discipleship. And one of the things Christ wanted his disciples to know and all of us to know is that God is in control. You do not have to do any of the heavy lifting. God has done it all. 
What we do is we live it out and we share it. As naturally as I will share with you my love for my wife, I will share with someone my love for Christ. There is no difference. We come to a place as we grow as Christians that there's no more shame. We don't care about what the world thinks about us. It makes no difference what people say. It could care less. We're sharing our faith. But a lot of Christians struggle with this. So I want to look at this parable today and see how simple it is to actually plant the seed. And as the farmer in our parable, he went to bed. And when he woke up, guess what? It sprouted. How it did, it says, he knows not. That's the sovereign work of God. So I want to talk about sharing our faith today. From this parable, we begin, as we spin, begin to speak about evangelism, sharing Jesus with others, it's just as important to know how it works. And that's what these four verses are. It's part of the dynamic of how it works. It's not just sharing our faith. But God wants us to know how it works. My desire is to remove the fears and apprehensions from many Christians. They don't know how it works, and they become reluctant in sharing their faith. And I ask you today, are you reluctant? Where are you in your faith sharing? Is it something that only when push comes to shove, you finally say, well, yeah, I'm a Christian. Or you're the type of man or woman that says, no, I am a Christian. I want the world to know I'm a Christian. Like me or not makes no difference. I'm here where I go, Christ comes with me. Even on my worst days, I got to take Christ with me. So I'm trying to get our church, Sonship, to move into that direction and say, you know, some sharing faith is a beautiful experience. And I use the word experience with a capital E. It's an experience to share your faith. It's a beautiful, majestic thing. I mean, I'll ask you this simple question. Are you happy you're a Christian? Well, who shared the faith with you? Was it parents? Was it a friend? Was it a neighbor? Was it a street evangelist? I mean, how did the message get to you to finally say, wow, I'm a Christian. I know who did it for me. I know the sensitive years when I was 25, 26 years old that God sent about a half a dozen Christians into my, my life and my wife's life to start stirring the pot. And it worked until we finally got saved. So God was at work doing something. So even think about your own situations. Did you have to come to the, the worst part of your life to cry out and say, God, help me? And praise God. That's fine. What was the circumstances? Who were the people God used in your life? Evangelism in its clearest and simplest explanations is being used by God to reconcile sinners with God. Pastor John prayed over that in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And we do that through the work of redemption, through Christ relying only on the Holy Spirit's power to bring it home. Not how articulate you are. I know we can all go to this, well, you know, Pastor, I don't know the scriptures. And I can't, I, can't, I don't sound as articulate as you do. Understand something. The Bible goes through long discourses like, say, Acts chapter 6 and 7, when one man is explaining the Bible to another man who just said, well, once I was blind, now I see. So you can have both. If you have the mind to articulate the plan of redemption to a Jew from the Old Testament, praise God, go for it. But if you don't, simply, I was blind, and now I see, and he's changed my life. God uses both. Amen? He uses both. Christians are called to engage and share in their faith with others in their lives. At first, for many Christians, it's like 
it's, it's a job, you know, I got to do it. It's, it's almost like the law of Moses. But really what happens is an intuitive nature takes over and it's like, wow, I really love sharing my faith. And once you start sharing your faith and you start bringing people to Christ and people start getting saved, it is wonderful to be used by God. Not just wonderful, but let me tell you right now, it's deeply humbling. Because he uses us in spite of all our failures. In spite of all, he's not using you, oh, you got your act together, finally, John, you got your act together, Kim, Brian, you, got, you finally got your act together, and now I'm going to use you. Oh, no, 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 no. God uses anybody who opens up their mouth. Simple as that. It should be intuitive in our heart. Question. Why do so many struggle in the area of sharing their Christian faith? I'll leave that to you. Or why have so many grown cold in this area? Many Christians were hot. First get saved, you, you want to share Christ. And all of a sudden it gets weaned and it gets cold. And, you know, we get into the Christian jargon and we just go through the motions of Christianity. That's brutal. There's a word for it. It's called religion. It's brutal. How come we're not as concerned at one point when we, when we were younger Christians, we were so concerned for the hearts of people, for the souls of people, for the lives of people? Some Christians even come to a place of sense of hopelessness. Well, no one listens to me. It's not going nowhere. Nothing's happening. Uh, everybody says no and everybody's rejecting it and this kind of stuff. I believe the text, these four verses of scriptures, give some answer to the big questions and should really get under our skin to say, why aren't I sharing well, just how beautiful it is. It has nothing to do with you and me. This is all about the Lord. And our text really shows it to us. The main point I will try to convey is that we are called to be good sowers. Not good harvesters. We're not called to bring in the harvest. That would be nice, right? Some seasons are like that. Sometimes the fruit is hanging low. You're like, I can't believe it. People are coming to church. Everybody I talk to is coming to Christ. It's very rare, but it happens. Most of the time, it's, it's just plain hard work. But when you understand that we're just called to the simple task of sharing, the simple task of the sharing our faith, don't worry about the outcome. You're looking at a man, as a matter of fact, I can speak for us at Alicia, but it's church. We're not concerned about the outcome. I'm not called to be concerned about the outcome. I'm called to just share Jesus with people. Understanding this point is really important. And that's what Jesus is doing in this parable. He wants his disciples to know the intrinsic value of the seed, period. Not how virtuous we are. The power is in the message. Not the messenger. Can you say that with me? The power is in the message, not the messenger. Can you really believe that? Let me give you an example. I knew a man. I read about a man who raised a dead man from the grave. And the crowd wanted to kill both of them. John chapter 11, Lazarus, all right? Come on. So you can raise the dead, doesn't mean people are going to come. Get that right from the start. 
It's not about how virtuous, how much power we have. It is all about how good God is. Let me show you an important example of this. A friend of mine came to Christ 17, 18 years ago. I mentored him for two years, and this is how he came to the Lord. He would chase women. He was chasing this one woman, one woman. Unfortunately, she was a stripper. She was a prostitute. And he chased her from bar to bar to bar. Until finally she looked at him and says, there is nothing I can do for you. You need Jesus. Okay? She pointed him to the Times Square Church where he got saved. And this is probably about 17 or 18 years now. He is now a sold-out servant of Christ. Sold out. He was part of our church for a while. He moved. What gave the seed the credibility was not the woman's character, but the self-revelatory nature of the gospel message. That's what saved him. From the most unlikely candidate, maybe struggling in her own walk with God. Maybe she knew the Lord. Maybe she had a hard time getting out of the lifestyle or so. We don't know. But one thing she knew, she knew the message. And we know this. She probably never knew he got saved. But we do. And God does. And he shared that testimony with us. Many Christians give up on their witness because they haven't seen the fruit. Are you one of those? It's easy to give up. And I'm here to tell you, don't give up. Because you're looking for the harvest and you're not looking to sow the seed. Perspective is huge. God just wants us to share faith until the day someone says, tell me more. I'm interested. I want to go to church. I feel God's doing something in my life. Many Christians give up this witness because they haven't seen the fruit. Only much unbelief and resist them. It gets wearisome. It wears you down. Their eyes and hope are on what they haven't seen. Well, it can't work because I haven't seen nothing. That's a bad attitude in the kingdom of God. It should be opposed to God operates in his world, through his word, at his time, the way he wants to, through anybody he wants to. The seed will sprout. The seed will sprout when God wants it to sprout. You should be rejoicing right now. There's no pressure on you. This is a no-pressure sermon. He planted, went to bed, woke up, and there it was. Let's go to what text? We'll say a couple of things. Verse 26. And he said, the kingdom of God is as a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises. This guy is, there's no, this guy is taking it easy. He sleeps and rises night and day. And the seed sprouts and grows he knows not how. The earth produces its by itself, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts the sickle because the harvest has come. Understand something. This is one of the kingdom parables. It's unique in the book of Mark. Jesus and these parables are teaching certain dynamics that are about the kingdom of God and how it works. Things that we should expect. He's teaching his disciples how it works. Remember something. These disciples are going to watch Christ crucified by the crowd. And then they're called to go into the crowd 
and tell them the same message. We have to know how it works. We have to get this right. Christ is training these men up. They have to get this right. And how the kingdom has changed in appearance. Understand something. The operation of the Old Testament, the operation of the New Testament are two different things. In the Old Testament, it was law and work. In the New Testament, it is faith and grace. The law came through Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus Christ. In the parable of the sower, he's teaching about a man's responsibility. We've seen that before, the four soils. That's, that's representative of, of man's heart. There's four major different responses to the gospel in the, in the sower. Here he's teaching about the hidden dynamic of God's sovereignty. What makes it work? Why did you guys come out tonight? Why do you come out faithfully Sunday after Sunday after Sunday or Monday after Monday or Thursday after Thursday or Thursday or, 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 or Bible study after? Why do you come? Because God's in you doing the work. If I had to make 150 phone calls a week to get people out, forget about it. I got a friend of mine who does that. Every day, 150 calls. I said, you got to be kidding me, man. That's wearisome. I said, I mean, you know, a couple of texts once in a while is okay, but if you've got to talk to everyone to make sure they come out, I said, are you relying on God? I said, do they come out? He goes, no. I said, so it's not working. He goes, yeah, but if they don't hear it, I said, yeah, there comes a point you have to trust in God. You are God's children. You are born again. I'm speaking to that part of you that wants to serve God, that loves God. Even in our failures, you still love the Lord. That's what makes this work. This is the hidden dynamic of God's sovereignty, which is represented in the mysterious growth of the seed. The farmer knew if he did A, B, C, and D. The farmer knew if it would rain. The farmer knew if there was sun. Guess what? He can expect what? A harvest. But he really doesn't know the dynamics behind it. The whole germination behind it. He doesn't know it. Now, of course, we do. The seed is the word of God. It's the gospel. It's a message about Christ, of salvation by faith alone, through grace alone, and Christ alone. These verses go to show the self-generating nature of the gospel message. It is totally self-sufficient. It needs no help in hand other than just share the message. You don't have to dress it up. I don't have to put the suit on. I don't have to put the tie on. I don't have to come in here and make it look like, well, we're a church. I had one gentleman come in and say, you know, something, there's something different about your church. He's a minister. He goes, he goes, this I said, we're laid back. He goes, yeah, y'all laid back. I said, we like that. We like the laid back church. This is like, what is it, Friday, no hassle, Friday at work, and you can wear your jeans. We wear shorts, flip-flops. We don't care about those external things. Because the power is in the word. Come and open up your ears and open up your heart and listen to the message. That's where God is. That's what changes us from the inside out. Not that we look good and we sound good, but we're not good. We might not look so great, but if you're listening to God's word, he is changing us from the inside out. That's how it happens. And that's how sanctification, people get saved because they heard the message. People get changed because they keep hearing the message. We don't have to run around putting fires out. God does it.
but before I move on, I just want to say this one other thing about the parables. This parable represents more than personal salvation. It's first and foremost about the kingdom of God from, first, from Christ's first coming to his second coming. Don't miss that. It's success, even under the most harshest conditions. Neither the gates of hell or Israel's unbelief or the power of Rome will stop the message that this Jewish carpenter came to give. The light came into the world and the darkness cannot overcome it. Jesus is both the word and the seed. Don't miss that. To be sure, there is a word, the gospel, because there was a seed first, and that's the death of Christ. Can we have John 12 up there? Truly, truly, I say to you, unless a grain of wheat falls in the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Jesus Christ is talking about himself. He's talking about the crucifixion. He's talking about three days in the tomb. He's talking about the resurrection. He knows that if he dies, he's the seed. He's going to bear much fruit. You and I are that fruit. I am a happy fruit. Are you a happy fruit? Are you one of those emojis with the happy fruit face? You know, the apple that's smiling, or you got the frown. Christ bears much fruit. Does that mean much to you? Let me tell you this. Considering Jesus is speaking of the death of himself, and this takes place in the most infertile spiritual ground you could ever want to start a religion. Ancient Israel. If you're going to start a new religion, don't start it in ancient Israel. They're not going to believe anything. But yet, that's where God started. Because the power wasn't in Israel's belief. The power was in Christ. The power is in the resurrection. The power is in the message. It doesn't care where it goes. It seeks out his own and it saves. You don't have to wait for someone to get off the alcohol. You don't have to wait for someone to get off the drugs. You don't have to wait for someone to get out of the adultery. You don't have to wait for someone to stop stealing, stop robbing. Tell them about Jesus Christ and they will stop. Well, you know, I got to get them to stop and I got, no, you don't. You don't have to try to get them to stop. Let them hear the message of salvation and getting right with God. That'll change them. That's the impetus. Religion tries to get people straight and sober first, then go to church. Come as you are. Me and my wife talk about that. When me and my wife got saved, she came and she had the hot pants on. So shorts up to here, you know. We get a kick out of this. And she's over there worshiping God. Until one day she said, I don't think I'm supposed to be dressed like this. <laughs> you know, but that's how it is. No one came over to her and said, you know, young lady, you're not supposed to. God does that. One day you wake up and say, I got to be more modest. God takes care of that. Praise God. We get a kick out of that. But understand something, even though Israel's unbelief, the disciples, all of them, abandoned Christ at the cross, yet 2,000 years were still here and were still advancing. On paper, this new religion should not work at all. It should be a failed philosophical start from the beginning. But the intrinsic value is inside. 
Let's go to the text. Verse 26 and 27. He said, The kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises at night and day. The seed sprouts and grows. He knows not how. Jesus is here pointing to the great limitations the farmer has. You know how many limitations you bring to God? You know how many limitations we have as human beings to do a supernatural work? Do you not know if we put all our efforts together, we can't advance the kingdom one inch? Not one inch. At all. We can all put Jesus loves you shirts on. We can all do, we can do everything. We can march around with flags and Jesus loves you. But unless God does something, nothing happens. Nothing happens whatsoever. Jesus is pointing to the great limitation the farmer has. He can do a lot, but he can't make it grow. That is a spiritual lesson you have to learn. You can't make something grow spiritually. You can't change someone's life. God has to do it. You have to point people in the right direction. You have to lead them to the water. God takes over after that. This farmer's hands are tied to the actual growth of the harvest. He has to trust that somehow it's going to grow. If you're a parent here, you should be listening to this message. Your wife and a husband, you should be listening to this message. Do you share your faith with people? You should be listening to this message. Because this message has the secret dynamic of why it works. And why I don't have to sweat it. I could be natural. There's no pretense in our character. There's no, there's, there's no trying to sound better than we are. Trying to look better than we are. Always trying to have your best game face on every day at work. So, well, someone might believe. If you're wrestling that, you can forget about it. That is the power of man. It's not the power of God. His hands are tied. He can observe. He can wait. He can pray. He can expect. But his part is over. He shared. You and I shared a message. It's over. There's nothing else you can do. The crucial point is not up to him. Jesus' audience knew agriculture. And they knew it was God's ultimate blessing on the crop. God bring the crop. He's using this agricultural metaphor to an agricultural people. They knew that. How it grows, they were like, yeah, Jesus, you know, how does it grow, Jesus? How does it, you put the seed in a little water, you wait, and it grows. How? They're basically saying, you're right, Christ, you're right. How does it work? Well, it works because of God. We have to know this. You and I have to know that ministers have to know this. We can preach and we can teach and we can evangelize. We can witness to our friends and our family. But how and when God goes to work, only God knows. And I ask you this question. Are you willing to go for 30 and 40 years to stubbornness to your family members who reject you most of your life until the end to find Christ? Are you willing to go to distance? Are you willing to suffer with a people for 2,000 years the way God suffered with Israel? For 2,000 years, he kept on cleaning up their stinking mess of unbelief. But he still did not give up on them. And he sent Christ to the world through his southern people. He came to his own, his own people rejected him. He didn't start a new plan. 
He knows not how. I just love that. I love how Jesus just makes that a point. He has not. He wakes up and it, it happens. Man, what pressure it takes off us. You don't have to dress it up. You can be yourself. I love sharing Christ. You're looking at a man that loves to talk about God. I love it. And you want to know something after a while, you get good at it. But I'm not trying to make anything grow. I just want to sow the word. I want to share the word. I want to take a look at my Savior. That was me when I was 20 years old. I was rotten to the bone. Look what he's done for me. When I was 15, I was a wild kid, caught up in a lot of bad stuff. And we used to go over to my friend's house, Ronnie Frazier. Ronnie Frazier had a mother, Mrs. Frazier. She was the wild-haired Pentecostal woman praying over everybody, speaking in tongues over the kids. We're like, your mother's a nut, but we like her, you know? Every time we went into the house, somebody else, and she's praying over some tongues, and, and all we want to do is smoke pot, like, leave us alone. We want to get into the back room over here and drink our wrangle, you know? And she wanted to pray over us in tongues, and what a godly woman she was, man. What a godly, and I remember when me got saved, me and Terry got saved, who was in the front of the church running around? Mrs. Frazier. There she was, loving us. She was a woman of God. She was a woman of God and a woman of faith. And you can rest assured when she said she was praying for us, she was praying for us. But how it works, I don't know. Me and my wife were selling a car once. We were upstate, and the car was, it was a nice car. It was an eight-cylinder car. Colors, but I never, put, I never changed the oil. I never changed it. The thing was, steam was coming out of everywhere, and I was going to trade it in. I was like, this guy's going to give me $8,000 for this? Is he kidding me? So we come back, and a week later, and I'm driving up. And there's a guy running down the, 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 the garage. Out of the garage. Praise God. Hallelujah. He's running like this. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Me and Terry are looking at each other. This guy a nut. Well, he was going to buy the car. Little did he know, the car's falling apart. I was like, wow, what a nut this guy is. So we saw him in the car a year later. We got saved, and I was running down the aisle. Hallelujah, hallelujah. You don't know when God shows up. I had no idea that was going to be me one year later. How it happens, we don't know. God does what he wants to do when he's going to do it. You don't know when your time's going to be here. He says in verse 28, the earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. By itself is the uh, deperative word here. By itself actually means without any cause. There's nothing outside coming in to move it. There's no inertia. Doesn't need wind. Doesn't need any movement. By itself, it produces. The message of Jesus Christ, the sharing of Christ to other people by itself takes over. You don't have to swear, I'm telling you it's the greatest thing in the world you got. And it is. I tried it all. I tried all the props. Doesn't do any good. Just sharing the message alone, God will take care of it. 
this is the intrinsic value of the seed about Jesus Christ. The only other occurrence in the Bible is in the New Testament, in the book of Acts. It's when the prison door that held Peter just, just opened on its own accord by itself. Please, let, let me tell you, you're missing it. Stop striving to save people. Stop turning people off by you trying to convert them. Just share with them what Jesus has done for you, how beautiful it is to be a Bible-believing Christian. I often use that when people say, well, what's the difference? I say, I'm a Bible-believing Christian. I'm not going to go through all the differences between uh, Catholicism being born again. If they want the fast answer, I say, heaven or hell? What do you want? Heaven on one side, hell on the other side. I share, I'm a Bible-believing Christian now. Me and my wife looked into the faith, and we wanted to know what Jesus is all about. It's self-sufficient. And this is the point that Jesus Christ is making, and he's making it clear. The word of Christ about himself, the gospel message, is all-sufficient, and it's all-powerful to do what God wants it to do. And you don't have to do anything else. I mean, love the person, of course. Don't punch him in the eye after you tell him about Jesus. On its own initiative, it brings spiritual life. Saving faith, the Bible teaches, has come by hearing. Hearing about Jesus. Like a natural seed, spiritual germination can take a long time. Some seed sits in the ground for decades before it actually sprouts. Don't get discouraged because someone's got the face on that they don't want to listen. I mean, Pastor John... You know, shared last week, and he shares quite often about how his dad came to faith just in the last couple of months of his life. He never gave up on him. And it was a real salvation. John knew in his heart that my dad is saved. He had the peace of God. He says, I'm not afraid of dying. Please don't let people go to the grave afraid of dying. When I hear that, my ears perk up. Oh, praise God, I got a friend who's scared of dying. Why? I got the answer. And I'm going to share with that person that you don't have to be afraid of dying. Jesus took the fear out of dying. Do you know how many people are growing older and older and callous and callous because they know their time is limited? Share your faith lovingly with a smile on your face. Jesus came to take the fear away. I mean, you can get really creative if you want to. We cannot force fruit. No gimmicks, no methods can be employed to help it grow sooner. It has its own time. It has a God time. Many ministers today try anything and everything to create an atmosphere of salvation. Trying to make something happen or have revivals. But at the end, they all fail. If you're not trusting solely in God's power. Or worse, they produce false hope and eternal life. I mean, to create a venue to share faith is good. But method doesn't save. The message saves. So when I'm speaking to the gay person or I'm speaking to the drunkard, I can tell them about the love of God, but I don't have to dumb it down. Churches today are dumbing it down. 
and said, no, that, 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 that's, that's sin. God wants to forgive you. It, it, sin brings unhappiness. Sin brings ruin. Sin brings destruction. No matter how innocent it looks, it's ruining your life. It ruins my life. It ruins your life. Sin destroys all things. You don't have to dumb it down. Because I'm not trusting in how I say it. I'm trusting in speaking the truth and love and God taking over from that point on. Verse 29. But when the, grind, the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. This verse of scripture deals ultimately with the second coming of Christ. When Christ left, he ascended into heaven. He had 150, 120 people were witnesses or 500 people were witnesses. That was the beginning of the church. And here we are today, 2,000 years later. And when he comes back, there will be a harvest. There will be a harvest. When we're all caught up together in the air, every saint from the Old Testament to the New Testament will come together and we'll worship God forever. As the song says, when the saints go marching in, when the saints go marching in. Me and Terry were up at, uh, in Manhattan one day and there was a song going, there was a party going on. And it was a, blue j- a jazz festival. And they were playing when the saints come marching in. Man, I was dancing up a storm. See, they were dancing for one reason. I don't know what they were drinking, but I was dancing because that song's theology is right on, man. When the saints come marching in, it was, they were playing the jack. Man, praise the God. I want to be amongst that throng. And with, Did you know something about today? Do you know you're closer to seeing Christ today than when you were last week? Did you know that? Are you looking forward to it? Let me tell you about You know you're getting older, you don't even know it. I love the people saying, time is going by so fast. I'm saying, yeah, what are you going to do with the rest of your time? It goes faster and faster and faster. I don't want to sit there and talk about it. Uh, let me just preach. I love Christ. I just absolutely love Christ. The thought of growing old without Christ is probably the most horrible, horrible existence someone can have. I'm telling you now, if you've got old people in your family... Make it a point to speak to them about the love of Christ. And if they're Catholic or near something else, don't, don't, don't pull up the weeds. Just tell them about the beauty of Christ. The Holy Spirit will take care of The Holy Spirit will take care of the rest. All right, you know something? We're just going through some application here. First of all, from the beginning to end, God wins. God never loses. You are on a winning team. The team you are on, Team Jesus, never, ever, ever loses. It always looks like we're getting beat up. It always looks like the Christian's being persecuted. It always looks like the Christian is the nut. But understand something, the Christian message never fails. This world is going to fade away. The things of the world are going to pass away. But those who obey the word of God live forever. Application. Understanding this truth brings peace and easiness to our witness. You can be yourself. You can be cool, calm, and collective. You don't have to worry about trying to be somebody you're not. Too many Christians are trying to be somebody they're not. Be yourself. In the middle of golf, and you can say, you know, Jesus loves you. Oh, Jesus Christ. You know, Mr. Fourfoot, but Jesus Christ died for your sins. You know, you just go on. 
You can do this so many different ways of sharing Christ. Me and Bruce Brown say it all the time. Somebody was taking uh, the Lord's name in vain in the gym one day, and I just said, hey, leave Jesus alone. He's done nothing to you. Bruce Brown didn't know me at the time. He heard that. He's been living on it ever since. He's come to faith in Christ. It was the truth. You know, you leave him alone. He's done nothing to you. That's all it takes. Speak up for the Lord. Don't let Satan go. Don't, don't cower down. Speak up for the Lord. What the world needs is people to speak up for the Lord. Stand up and just speak for Christ. Enjoy it. Enjoy him. Dialogue is key. To have a good and consistent dialogue with others about Christianity. How many people really would like to have a good dialogue with other people about Christ? You got to be a good listener. If you're not a good listener, you're going to sound like a, a, a gongy sound. You're gonna, you, you know, people don't want to listen to you. You're going to sound self-righteous. You have to listen. You have to listen to their aches and their pains and their questions and where they're at. Be a good listener. And you'll be able to communicate Christ much better. Knowing how this works removes so much self-righteousness out of us. It removes the pretense out of us trying to be something holier than now. Let me tell you something about your Christian life. You ready? There'll be times in your Christian life where you are riding the high wave. You're doing everything right. Oh, it's sweet. And there are times in your life it might falter. But the message is still the same. God uses no less. Samson's greatest work was at his worst time. He took more Philistines down in captivity. He did more work for the kingdom of God when he was being disciplined by the Lord. Because the intrinsic power was in the message, not in him. And just like my friend who got saved from a prostitute, understand something. It's not about if you can walk on water. Be a good witness. Don't ruin your witness. Of course, but don't rely on it. I can tell you something now. You can walk on water. It doesn't mean they're going to believe. You can raise people from the dead, but if they haven't believed in Moses, they're not going to believe in you raising people from the dead. You can heal ten lepers and nine of them don't care. Trust in the message itself. Can you do that? Can you trust in the message itself? And this is the last one. I share this a lot. Addition by subtraction. I don't have to be the Christian that takes away the word sin. Or takes the word suffering. Or takes hell out of my witness. I quite often speak about hell to people. I speak about the justice of God. I never speak about hell without speaking about the justice of God. I don't have to subtract the message so people come and say, oh, I like that message. It doesn't challenge me at all. It doesn't make me look at myself at all. This is great. I can, I can keep on sinning. I love that church. They sing, they dance, and they don't talk about sin. They don't talk about repentance. They don't talk about suffering. They don't talk about anything. No. We don't have to do that. When you understand the intrinsic power of the word of God, when you understand the intrinsic power of truth by itself, you don't have to dress it up. You don't have to dumb it down. All you have to do is be faithful to the truth. 
Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you for these four verses of scripture, these powerful parable of how the kingdom of God works and why it grows, God. Even to our farmer saying, I don't know, but it does. I put the seed in the ground. I share the message. I water it once in a while. I tell him that God loves him. God cares. God wants to forgive him. And, and then something happens. Father God, let us be a people that trust solely in dependence on the Holy Spirit in everything we do spiritual. Help us, Father God, to be cool, calm, and collective and to really genuinely love people who we share the gospel with, Father God. Teach us, Father God, that these people are created in your image. They are to be loved and cherished as part of the human race, God. And now we have the answer to life and death in Jesus' name. Amen.